Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. To hear ad-free versions of our episodes published several days before their general release, subscribe to They Walk Among Us Plus. Head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us or search for They Walk Among Us on Apple Podcasts to learn more. Leslie Molsey was sent on an errand to the local shops to buy a loaf of bread. Her mother thought it was safe, but Leslie Molseed never made it to the shops, and she never made it home either. It was the last time her mother ever saw her alive. It was a cruel and a lonely end when Leslie's body was found on the moors, assaulted and stabbed to death. The town where she lived demanded someone had to pay. A few days later, detectives called at the home of Stefan Kishko in Rochdale and arrested him. They closed their files when he was convicted. There were clues at the scene, but the forensic scientists of the day weren't able to take those clues and turn them into a trail of forensic evidence. If they'd done that, they might have avoided the worst miscarriage of justice that this part of the world has ever seen. After serving 16 years in prison for a crime he did not commit, Stefan Kishko was acquitted and released. He died less than two years later. Leslie Molseed's killer was still unidentified, but as so much time had passed, there was little chance the murderer would ever be brought to justice, especially after most of the evidence had been destroyed. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 19 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 8, Episode 18 for Part 1 of this two-part case.
Following Stefan Kishko's release and premature death, the investigation into Leslie Molseed's murder was reopened. For some time, the police suspected that Leslie's stepfather Danny was involved. Before Stefan was acquitted, Danny had been arrested and questioned in connection with the killing but was released without charge. Around the same time as Stefan's successful appeal, Danny Molseed was brought to court where he pleaded guilty to three charges of sexual abuse against his stepson Freddie between August 1976 and August 1979. Freddie was 13 when the abuse began and it lasted until he was 16. The abuse had only come to light after Danny Molseed's arrest the previous year. The court heard that Danny had gone into turmoil following Leslie's murder and began drinking heavily and taking Valium. Danny Molseed was sentenced to two years of probation and ordered to attend a sex abuser's clinic. Five years later in 1997, a book titled Innocence was released, written by Jonathan Rose with the help of former police officer Trevor Wilkinson and journalist Steve Panter. It named a new potential suspect, Raymond Hewlett. Hewlett had been questioned in relation to the murder in 1992, but the CPS decided that there was not enough evidence to proceed with the case. Hewlett, who lived 10 miles from Rochdale, had a number of previous convictions. In 1972, then aged 27, he had abducted and sexually assaulted a 12-year-old neighbour. Hewlett was sentenced to 18 months in prison, but was released after being behind bars for just a year. In 1978, he sexually assaulted a 14-year-old at her home while holding her at gunpoint. Hewlett received a four-year sentence but only served 16 months. A decade later, on January 1st, 1988, Raymond Hewlett kidnapped another 14-year-old who was delivering newspapers in Northwich, Cheshire. He took the girl to a quarry in North Wales over 50 miles away, where she was sexually assaulted. Hewlett was described by a judge as being highly dangerous. He was sentenced to six years in prison. Hewlett had just finished serving four years of that sentence when he was questioned concerning Leslie Molseed's murder. The authors of Innocence wrote that Hewlett had admitted to prison inmates that he was responsible. Hewlett had convinced a girl to provide him with a false alibi for the time of the killing when he was initially questioned in 1975. The girl later attracted the alibi, but Hewlett was never considered a suspect again once the police spoke with Stefan Kishko. Because Stefan had two failed appeals, the exhibits from the case were destroyed in 1985, meaning there was very little evidence left to be tested during the reinvestigation in the early 90s. Detective Chief Superintendent Max McLean with the West Yorkshire Police was tasked with leading the review. 
1999, the conviction that Hewlett was Leslie's killer was so strong that her family attempted to proceed with a private prosecution against him, but Hewlett was missing. It was believed that he had fled the UK and was hiding out under a false name in Ireland. In 2001, Hewlett was placed on Britain's most wanted list, and Interpol was asked to assist in finding him. DCS McLean said at the time, Our inquiries can go no further until we trace this man. I am not saying he is guilty of the killing, but it is vital that we trace him and question him. He is known to have been a fairground worker and had also worked as a trawlerman. He has a passport and we know he has friends all over Europe. He also has a child on the continent from an association over there. This man has been married and has four or five children we know of, but his family want nothing to do with him. From new information we have received, we have the names of three potential suspects, two of them we have interviewed, but the vital key is in tracing Hewlett and speaking to him. He was considered a suspect right from the beginning, but then we had the conviction of Stefan Kishko, a wrongful conviction as it turned out. To say we need to trace this man is an understatement. It is vital to our inquiries and we need the public's help. I am determined to finalise this inquiry for Leslie's sake. and We know he has connections in Europe. We don't believe he's in the UK and we'll travel anywhere to talk to him. After 26 years in 2001, the murder investigation was ramped up. A team of investigators based at a dedicated incident room at West Yorkshire CID went through all of the original statements in an attempt to find clues the detectives had missed in 1975. One of the only remaining pieces of evidence was a section of adhesive tape that had been rolled across Leslie's clothing during the original investigation. It was thought that the killer would never be found, but advancements in forensic technology meant that even after three decades, one piece of evidence was all that it would take to break the case wide open. The breakthrough came after scientists here had been working to refine their DNA profiling test, specifically to examine the small amount of evidence that's still available in this case. Since the discovery, the police have been widening their search, and for Leslie Molseed's family, that's brought new hope. We now have this wonderful opportunity in relation to the DNA profile. If we can find the match to that, we will catch Leslie's killer. It's a significant breakthrough, but what the scientists have found here could be a major step forward in solving a murder case which led to one of the most famous miscarriages of justice. In 2003, Detective Chief Superintendent McLean announced that a full DNA profile had been obtained. It was incredible news but it also caused further confusion for Leslie's family as the DNA cleared the only suspect, Raymond Hewlett. DCS McLean said, Raymond Hewlett has been named as a suspect in the past, but I can categorically state that he is not the killer. 
It does not match the DNA profile we have. The DNA did, however, conclusively prove that Stefan Kishko had been innocent all along. Despite most of the evidence being destroyed in 1985, a single strip of adhesive that had been rolled over Leslie's underwear to lift any fibres had been rolled over a semen stain. In 1999, analysts from Weatherby Forensic Science Services Lab were able to use low-copy number typing, a technique that extracts DNA profiles from small samples. Experts obtained a full profile of Leslie Molseed, and from sperm heads found on the adhesive taping, they extracted the DNA of an unknown male. McLean said, This is the biggest breakthrough in this inquiry to date. We will never have a better opportunity to crack this case than we do now. It may be that someone has harboured a suspicion for 27 years that a friend, relative or acquaintance could have killed this little girl. We now have the ability through the development of scientific methods to eliminate these people once and for all. It is an extremely simple procedure, which involves us taking a mouth swab. We have already eliminated 300 people and are continuing to work through our list of suspects. It could be a husband, boyfriend, partner or brother. There are simple scientific tests we can undertake to determine whether they are responsible for her death. I want to stress to people that it is impossible for Stefan Kishko to have been involved in this crime. Get the image out of your mind. He was not the killer. This is a murder inquiry that West Yorkshire police are desperate to solve. We know we have got it wrong in the past, and we would dearly love to put that right both for the Molseed family and the memory of Stefan Kishko. By the time Leslie Molseed should have been turning 40 years old in 2004, the police had eliminated over 1,000 people from the inquiry through comparative DNA testing the identity of the killer still remained a puzzle yet to be solved. Seven months before the 30th anniversary of Leslie's murder, a family were dealt another devastating blow. In March 2005, Leslie's older brother Freddie was found dead in his home with self-inflicted knife wounds to his neck. He left behind his wife and three children aged between 3 and 11 years old. Freddie, along with his parents Fred and April and his sisters Laura and Julie, had campaigned to keep Leslie's case in the public eye since Stefan Kishko's acquittal in 1992. At the inquest into his death, his wife Deborah explained that Freddie would become depressed each year as the anniversary of Leslie's death approached, and he had also been dealing with complex trauma from his past. Months later, his mother April spoke publicly for the first time in years, recalling the type of person Freddie was, and describing how much she missed her son and daughter. He and Leslie were very close as children. Now they are together again. He was such a lovely boy, 
always considerate, a real gentleman. He would visit me with flowers and chocolates, and we'd sit and watch a video together. He used to run marathons. We were very proud of him. At that point, April was in remission from cancer and feared it would be the final time she could appeal to the public to help her solve her daughter's murder. What can I say to people that hasn't been said before? Only that I ask them to think back to see if there is anything they have overlooked or previously thought unimportant, and if there is, ask them to come forward. It could be the final piece of information that slots everything else together. I'm just hoping that someone somewhere will remember something. Detective Chief Superintendent Max McLean was still leading the inquiry and spoke about the importance of passing information to the police. It's a 30-year murder inquiry and we are approaching our last chance to catch and convict the killer. For all the advances in DNA evidence, IT and forensic science, there is nothing like a tip-off from the public to help identify a suspect. McLean believed the killer must have kept out of trouble following Leslie Mulseed's murder because their profile was not on the National DNA Database. Just days later, a profile taken during a routine swab following an arrest was uploaded into the database. But a whole year would pass before the sample taken from Leslie Mulseed's underwear was compared again. In November 2006... The samples were run through the National DNA Database and the investigators found a match to the unknown male. The profile corresponded to 54-year-old Ronald Castry, a local man who had been in his early 20s in 1975. He lived less than a mile from Leslie's home at the time of her murder. Castry had been born and raised in Rochdale. After completing a private school education in 1973 when he was 19, he married an 18-year-old called Beverly. Castry had worked as a taxi driver in the mid-1970s, and in September 1975 the couple had their first child. The baby boy was believed to have been born during a brief breakup. A few weeks later, on October 3rd, Beverly and the little boy were admitted back to the hospital. Leslie Molseed was abducted and killed two days later. In 1976, four days before Stefan Kishko's trial began at Leeds Crown Court, Castry abducted a nine-year-old girl and took her to another location where he sexually assaulted her. The girl had attended the same school as Leslie, and luckily she had been able to escape and report what had happened to her mother. She had been playing with a friend when a red taxi pulled up, and the driver walked over. Her friend had run away, but the driver grabbed the girl and pulled her into his car before driving off. 
After she escaped and her mother alerted the police, the little girl bravely identified Castri as her attacker. On July 12, 1976, at Rochdale Magistrates Court, Ronald Castri pleaded guilty to indecent assault and incitement to commit an act of gross indecency. He was fined £25 and released. Two years later, Castri was back in the magistrate's court where he was convicted of assaulting a nine-year-old. He had forced the young boy to strip before striking his bare buttocks. Despite the nature of the assault, Castri was not convicted of a sexual offence and was fined just £50. Castri went on to have two more sons with his wife, Beverly. Throughout the years that followed, he routinely beat and berated his partner and children and also had multiple affairs. He opened two comic book stores in the 1990s, but later changed to selling products over the internet. In the mid-1990s, Castri and Beverly divorced, and Castri remarried a woman with five young children. He was still married to her at the time of his arrest in October 2005, after being accused of rape by a sex worker. Castri was not prosecuted, but his DNA was taken and entered into the National DNA Database, as was routine following an arrest. When his profile was found to be a one-in-a-billion match against the sample found on Leslie Mulseed's underwear the following year, the police believed they had finally located her killer. On November 5th, 2006, investigators went to Ronald Castry's home. Ronald, I'm uh, DC-1762 Jeff Dunn from West Yorkshire Police. Yeah. Um, I just warn you now that um, everything that we say is being tape recorded. I'm not going to hide it, just dying on. Right. What's going on? Are you Ronald Charles Edward Castro? I am. Right, listen very carefully okay. to what I've got to say to you now. You were under arrest for the murder of Leslie Susan Molseed. You're joking. Between 12 noon on Sunday... The 5th of October 1975 and 06.45am on Wednesday the 8th of October 1975. You do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention, when questioned, something which you later rely on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. Do you understand the caution. Yes, I understand the caution. Your arrest is necessary for the prompt and effective investigation of the offence. Right. Okay, you're going to be taken from here to Halifax Police Station now. It's ridiculous. When Castry was questioned at Halifax Police Station, he told the officers that he had been expecting to be arrested for the crime for some time. He explained that he had been threatened about the murder years before. Castry claimed that he had reported a theft in 1979, and when the police suspected he was lying, he was assaulted. Allegedly, the officers threatened to pin Leslie's murder on him. Castry adamantly denied any involvement in Leslie's abduction and murder, 
and said he could not understand how his DNA recovered from a semen sample was found on her clothing. I have no knowledge, and I've certainly never, never met this dead girl or any member of her family. <coughs> and I have no knowledge as to how you, you come to, say, a sample of my DNA is found at that place, especially after 30 years. Ronald Castry was charged with Leslie Molseed's murder the following day and later pleaded not guilty to the offence. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. The trial began at Bradford Crown Court on October 23, 2007. 
opening for the Crown Julian Goose QC told the jury. The 1975 investigation by the police led to a man known as Stefan Kishko. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you may recall the name of Stefan Kishko. He served over 16 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. The court heard that DNA testing in recent years had completely exonerated Stefan. The prosecutor said, The man who carried out those acts had a sexual interest in very young girls and in a violent rage killed Leslie Molseed in a frenzied attack with a knife. That man was definitely not Stefan Kishko. The prosecution says it was the defendant Ronald Castry who abducted, sexually assaulted and then murdered Leslie Molseed. Julian Goose QC explained that a semen stain found on an adhesive rolling taken from Leslie's clothing was an exact DNA match to Ronald Castry, who was 22 years old at the time of the offence. There was only a one in a billion chance that it came from someone else. The prosecutor explained, The police in the 1970s did not have the benefit that we now have of obtaining DNA profiles for comparison to help to identify the perpetrator of a crime. Their efforts were confined to attempts in the recovery of fibres, as well as attempting to discover a blood group from semen stains. The court heard that Castry had been convicted of sexually assaulting a nine-year-old girl in 1976, which the prosecution argued showed his propensity for being a violent predator. Julian Goose QC told the jury that the offence was eerily similar to Leslie Molseed's murder. The victim lived just ten minutes from Leslie's home, was the same height and weight, attended the same specialist school as Leslie, and they both had learning difficulties. Recalling Castry's statement following his arrest, the prosecutor went on to say, What the defendant said to the police when he was arrested in November 2006 was because he was expecting the police to go to him, not because of any previous threats, but because he knew that the police had finally arrested the murderer of Leslie Molseed. His story in police interview about being threatened with being charged with the murder was as illogical and absurd as it was false. Leslie's mother, April, testified about the events of October 5th, 1975, when she asked her youngest daughter to go to the shop. She described Leslie as a dainty and enchanting little darling who was full of life. A smile passed across April's face as she recalled how Leslie had worn her sister's Bay City roller socks to the shop that afternoon. On the second day of testimony, Professor Christopher Milroy, a senior forensic pathologist, went through the medical evidence in the case. The pathologist who had conducted the post-mortem in 1975 had since passed away, but Professor Milroy had reviewed his report and presented it to the jury. 
The expert witness said that Leslie had been killed on the moors where her body was later found. The cause of death had been multiple stab wounds. The weapon had pierced Leslie's heart, aorta and left lung. The wounds had been inflicted with severe force with a knife measuring around 2.5 inches long. Tom Butterworth and Robert Collins, two police officers whom Castry had accused of assaulting and threatening him in 1979, then testified. They denied telling Castry, You've got previous for fiddling with a young girl. We'll fit you up for the Molsey job. Castry's barrister Rodney Jameson QC suggested they had punched Castry in the stomach multiple times and threatened him indicating that they could charge him with killing Leslie Molseat. The court also heard from Ronald Outerich, the forensic scientist who had been involved in the original investigation in 1975. Outerich told the court that he could not say for certain that whoever had ejaculated onto Leslie's underwear was the same person who had killed her. Outerich told the court... To do that, it would be necessary to prove that the semen was deposited during the murder of the little girl, and I found no evidence to show that was the case. It might have been. It might not. Outeridge agreed with the defence's suggestion that the semen may have transferred onto Leslie's underwear through other means, such as an unconnected sexual assault or sitting on a taxi seat where someone had sex. Dr. Gemma Escott, the forensic expert who had examined the semen sample obtained from the adhesive tape taken from Leslie's underwear, testified that she had identified a full profile and found a direct match to Castry's DNA. Dr. Escott said, The probability of obtaining that profile if the semen did not originate from Ronald Castry is in the order of one in one billion. Jurors then heard from the victim of Castry's 1976 assault. The woman had just been nine years old at the time and recalled being abducted by a ginger-haired taxi driver. She was taken to a derelict house where the man masturbated in front of her. After the assault, Castry had allegedly gone home to his wife and said, You can divorce me now. I've been caught interfering with a little girl. Castry pleaded guilty to the offence and just received a £25 fine. On November 2nd, 2007, the prosecution finished presenting their case. Ronald Castry's barrister Rodney Jameson QC told the court that it was overwhelmingly probable that someone else had killed Leslie. Jameson argued, It's not, you can't prove it. It's, I am innocent. Moreover, we believe that we may be able to tell you who is guilty. We say it is overwhelmingly probable that it is Raymond Hewlett who committed this murder. Throughout his life, he's been a dangerous and violent paedophile. 
Ronald Castry then took the stand in his own defence. He said that throughout the 20 years he was married to his first wife, Beverly, he had numerous affairs and one-night stands. Castry admitted that his wife knew about the affairs, but they had stayed together until the late 90s for the sake of their children. In closing, the defence urged the jury to consider if there was another way that Castry's semen could have ended up on Leslie's underwear. The jury was sent out to deliberate, and on November 12, 2007, they returned with a 10-2 majority verdict. Years of uncertainty and a long wait for justice have finally come to an end for the family of Leslie Molseed. A jury at Bradford Crown Court found Ronald Castry, a 54-year-old comic book dealer from Oldham, guilty of Leslie's murder. As the jury gave its verdict, there were shouts of yes and tears of relief from the public gallery, where Leslie's mother April was sitting surrounded by her family. The presiding judge, Mr Justice Openshaw, addressed Castry before sentencing him and said, This was a truly dreadful crime. Leslie Molseed was only 11 and she was vulnerable, not just because of her age but because of her learning difficulty. You left her for dead, went back to Rochdale and carried on with the rest of your life as if nothing had happened. Today, though, Your past has caught up with you. You kept quiet whilst an entirely innocent man was arrested, tried, convicted and sentenced for this murder. He served fully 16 years before his conviction was fully set aside, living only a couple of years after his release before he died. By any standards, this was an exceptionally serious murder. Sentence will be imprisonment for life. I specify you must serve 30 years before the parole board considers you for release. It does not mean you will be released in 30 years' time. It means you will not be released under any circumstances until you have served that time. You are 54. I appreciate the practical effect is that you will spend the rest of your life in prison. As Castry was led from the courtroom, he shouted out, I didn't do it. His ex-wife and children comforted the Molseed family, who had graciously accepted that they too were victims of Castry. Speaking outside the courtroom after the verdict, Lead investigator Detective Chief Superintendent Max McLean said that the West Yorkshire Police had never given up on the investigation and he was pleased that the case had at last been solved. Quote, Leslie was abducted and brutally killed. She was taken from the safety of her home and community, subjected to a terrifying and frenzied attack and then abandoned in the bleakest of resting places. No one deserves the kind of anxiety that Leslie's family has endured over the years, not knowing until now who killed her. My thoughts are with the family who have acted with such dignity. 
and I am proud to call them partners in this investigation. Leslie's mother also spoke outside of court. We are relieved that after so long, our quest for justice for Leslie is now over. It has been a long and harrowing ordeal, and our gratitude to the friends, family and strangers throughout the world who have given us their support is immense. April went on to thank the West Yorkshire Police, who she said had been more than the police. They had been friends. So where are we now? Ronald Castry has exhausted his attempts to appeal his conviction and reduce his 30-year sentence. His ex-wife Beverly spoke out following his conviction and described her shock at the depths of Castry's depravity. He was cruel. He was cruel with his mouth and cruel with his fists. He liked to rule everything, liked people to be under the thumb. We will never forget Leslie and never get over what he's done. Ronald Castry victimised so many people, his ex-wife, his children, the children he assaulted and most of all Leslie Molseat. Castry also ruined the lives of Leslie's family and allowed Stefan Kishko to remain in prison for 16 years for a crime he did not commit. Leslie's siblings never recovered from her horrific murder. Julie, Laura and Freddie all suffered from mental illness brought on by the ordeal they went through when they were younger. Leslie's mother April was also profoundly impacted by her youngest daughter's death. She never recovered from the shock. April said, I cannot begin to describe my sorrow. I was truly heartbroken. I would never again feel her hugs and kisses, never see her bouncing through the front door, never listen to all her excited chatter. She would never grow up and get married and have children of her own. Leslie had always talked about how she wanted babies when she grew up. April used alcohol and medication to dull the pain and could never rest without taking sleeping tablets to prevent nightmares. However, she never gave up hope that one day Leslie's killer would be found. April lived out her remaining years in sheltered housing before she died in Spring Hill Hospice in March 2014. Charlotte Kishko never gave up either. She spent 16 years and tens of thousands of pounds trying to prove her son's innocence. Stefan Kishko's case would go down as one of the worst miscarriages of justice in UK history. Even after his release, he was a broken man. A family friend, Charles Turner, said, There were no threads for Stephen to pick up after his release. He was content at home. He couldn't face the world. 
He wasn't accustomed to speaking to people. He was known everywhere because of what happened. People tried to sympathise and encourage him, but it seemed to frighten Stefan. He would just sit around the house. He had no interests. After being released, Stefan never recovered. It was the type of lassitude from which he suffered. It must have been very trying for his mum, but she was delighted to be able to care for him. Stefan was diagnosed with XYY syndrome, a condition that meant he was born with an extra Y chromosome, causing him to develop abnormally, both physically and mentally. In recognition of her campaign to overturn her son's wrongful conviction, Charlotte Kishko was named Rochdale Woman of the Year in April 1993, one month before her death. Her headstone in Rochdale Cemetery reads, A loving wife and a very devoted mother. Leslie Molseed's mother April is buried with her in the same cemetery, next to Leslie's brother Freddie. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for their support. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.